Man, you can have a seat. Quick correction so you don't show up two weeks from today for VBS and be disappointed. It's two weeks from tomorrow, okay? So don't show up Sunday night. Monday night starts VBS. Today we continue in the series that I'm calling Legacy. And as we think about the people who have left a legacy in our lives, a lot of times we'll think about people like parents and grandparents who have built into us for many, many years as part of our lives. But after we get through that, those family members, maybe even uncles and aunts, Probably for many of us, the next people on that, that, that list is probably going to be people who are teachers, right? People who taught us something in class, but also helped us form into the right person that, that sort of made us the people that we are today. Now, for me, those lines cross because both my parents are teachers and I had both of them, mom in second grade and dad as a junior and senior in high school for English. So they taught me both at home to be the person I am, but also a lot in school. So I had a double dose in that way. But I can name other teachers and you probably can too. My kindergarten teacher, Winnell Main, who taught me a lot in kindergarten, but built into my life even into adulthood. Gary Holloway, who I had in high school, who taught me really not just so much the question, the answers, but also the questions that I needed to ask in life. And you can probably think of teachers and coaches who helped you become the person you are today. Now, as we think about teachers, and then we come into the life of the church, for me, there, there's no question that the health of the church depends on having people who can teach us, right? We need people who on the journey of spiritual formation have gone further down the path than we have and have come back and are walking with us to teach us what they've learned. Now, some of that's going to be what do they know about the Bible and some of that's going to be how do I relate to God? But to be a healthy church, we need strong teachers. But the question is, how do we get there, right? I mean, most of us are not born being able to teach. We may have some abilities that help us, but we don't know how to do it just because we want to do it. So how do we as a church have a strong teaching ministry and also bring people along to be teachers? Today, I want us to think about that as we think about the legacy that we leave to the next generation. And to do that, we're going to turn again to the book of Acts. Now, we have this great story of the interaction between two men who who help us see what it means to become a teacher and to teach someone as we see the interplay between their lives in chapters 9 through 13. Now, we're not going to cover all that, but just some pieces along the way that help us see this. Now, the story begins in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is really one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. It's the story of a conversion, the first half of the chapter anyway. The story of the conversion of a man named Saul. Now, Scripture tells us that Saul was zealous for God. And for for him, what that meant was, I believe in God, I believe in His law, and I believe that these Christians have strayed. And in fact, they're false teachers. And Saul became so zealous for God that he, as a Jew, went to towns around Judea and into other places and arrested Jews who had decided to follow Jesus, brought them back to Jerusalem to be tried for following a false god. Okay? So he was, he was strong in that and he became an enemy of the early church. But as he went to Damascus, many of you know this story, and we'll probably talk about it a little more later in the series, he had an encounter with Jesus a powerful encounter that changed the course of his life. And he became a follower of Jesus, went into Damascus, was baptized by a man named Ananias, and began to preach and teach in that ancient city. 
Now, this was a major change for Saul. And a lot of people didn't exactly understand it because Saul went to Damascus opposing Jesus, ready to arrest Christians. He came back from Damascus to Jerusalem, which was his home, suddenly saying, I've had this incredible experience and now I'm following Jesus. And the Christians said, hang on a minute. We're not so sure. I mean, he has really worked against us and maybe this is all... Maybe this is all sort of a ruse to, to get inside and to find out who the leaders are and to identify everyone in Jerusalem who's a Christian. So they were suspicious. And we read about that in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. When he, Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Can hardly blame them, right? Not believing that he was really a disciple. Now, verse 27 the first two words really changed the course of Christian history. But Barnabas. But Barnabas took him, Saul, and he brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord Jesus and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And here's Barnabas, an early leader in the church, a Jew himself, who was not one of the 12 disciples, so he's not in that upper level of Christian leadership, but a man who, because he heard what had happened to Saul and heard that he had become as zealous for Jesus as he had once been against Jesus, Barnabas stood up. When no one else was willing to believe that Saul had actually made a change in his life, Luke tells us, but Barnabas stood up, went to the apostles, and said, this is the kind of man that he's become. And because of that, the Christians in Jerusalem accepted Saul, and he began to have a ministry among them. Because Saul was, as he calls himself, a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a man who knew the law, knew the Old Testament, and could take that and then apply it to Jesus, maybe in ways that no one else could do. Barnabas saw all of that as his potential and he convinced everyone to listen. And Paul had a powerful ministry there. And in fact, some of the Jews began to oppose him because he was now preaching for Jesus and his life was under threat. So the Christians escorted him from Jerusalem to the sea, to a city named Caesarea, and they put him on a boat to send him home, which was Tarsus, and that's in what we now call Turkey. So Paul ends up back at home as a Christian living there, and we sort of lose track of the story until we get over to chapter 11. Now what happens in chapter 11 is the, the, the Christian movement has spread among Jews, but now it's moved north to the city of Antioch. Antioch is a major metropolitan area in the ancient world. It's cosmopolitan, it's multicultural. They have people there from all over the world, and the Jewish Christians there have thought, you know what, this message of Jesus this stuff is so powerful for us, we believe that it applies not just to the Jews, but also to Gentiles. And so these Jewish Christians, not all of them from Judea, but really from all over the world, begin to share the message of Jesus with the Gentiles in Antioch. And they listened. And many of them became Christians. Now, when the leadership back in Jerusalem heard, man, things are changing in Antioch and even Gentiles are becoming Christians, 
They want to send somebody to find out what's going on. Guess who they chose? Barnabas. And so they sent Barnabas from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he investigates all this. He goes in and finds out what they've been teaching, the results of it, all this, and he is thoroughly impressed. In fact, he tells them to continue doing what they've been doing. And then he has an idea. He thinks about the one man who could impact all of this the most, Saul. And so we read this over in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Do you see how Barnabas is working? Everybody's standing against Saul in Jerusalem, but Barnabas stood up for him. He had a strong ministry in Jerusalem. Barnabas goes to Antioch. He sees what's happening. He sees Christianity spreading. Who does he go and find? Saul. And he brings him back. And there they have a ministry together, preaching and teaching to large numbers of people in Antioch. And as a part of the ministry there, there was a prophet a prophet named Agabus, who had this message from God that there was going to be a severe famine, and people who were going to have the most need were the Christians in Jerusalem. And that was partly because everyone would have sort of separated themselves from those Christians because they had made the decision to follow Jesus. So they took up an offering, and they decided to send that offering back to Jerusalem. This is what happens. So verse 30, this they did, collected the offering. Sending their gift to the elders in Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul. And so what we see is this ministry of Barnabas with Saul increasing and gaining such trust that the elders in Antioch, when they receive this offering, say the two men who are perfect to go back to Jerusalem are two Jewish leaders named Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas has so increased Saul's reputation that the elders in Antioch are even willing to trust him with money. And this they do. And they sent Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem with this offering to provide for the Christians in Jerusalem who were going to be in need. And then the story sort of drops off again until we pick up over in chapter 13. Barnabas and Saul have returned to Antioch. And they're worshiping with the church in Antioch, and my guess is that that ministry is continuing. So we've got Barnabas helping Saul in Jerusalem, Barnabas helping Saul learn to teach in Antioch, Barnabas leading Saul to Jerusalem with him to take the money, <clears throat> and then returning to continue their ministry. And then God intervenes. Now, I mentioned this before, that throughout the book of Acts, one of the things that Luke wants us to see is that the prime mover in all of this, the one who is guiding the church, the early Christians, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work in them. And so in Acts chapter 13, we see the Spirit working one more time, beginning in verse 2. Uh, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so the Spirit of God intervenes and says this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So what's that work? Well, we find out. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So what did they send them off to do? They sent them off to share the message of Jesus with Gentiles. 
Now remember, this church in Antioch has become sort of a, a major hub for Christian missions. I mean, they are evangelistic. They are reaching both Jews and Gentiles in the city, and they recognize that the model that they've developed can be exported. In fact, it can be exported all over the Roman Empire. And they want people throughout the Roman Empire to hear about Jesus. How do you do that? You send people to tell them. And so the Spirit of God spoke to this church and said, the two people I want you to send are Barnabas and Saul. One more time. So what does Barnabas do? He says, Saul, we're going. They pack everything up and they set off by ship for the island of Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? Well, that's where Barnabas is from. That's his home. And so he must have thought this is the perfect place to start. So Barnabas and Saul preached their way through Cyprus, preaching to both Jews and Gentiles, attracting a lot of attention. In fact, this sorcerer comes after this crazy story. Read all through that in Acts chapter 13. And then they go from Cyprus to what we call Turkey. They begin to visit cities in Turkey. They usually went to the synagogue first, spoke to the Jews, and then allowed the message to spread to the Gentiles until they came to a town called Antioch. That's well, a different Antioch, okay? Just like there's Springfield all over the United States, there's Antioch in more than one place in the ancient world. So this is in the region of Pisidia. And they go and, and they begin to do their work, sort of the model they've developed, share the message of Jesus in the synagogue, and then allow it to spread. But this time, Saul begins to take the leading role. And in fact, on one Sabbath day, he preaches in the synagogue, and after the service, we find that everybody is powerfully moved by what's happening, and they want more. And so we read this in verse 42 of chapter 13. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. We want to know more. Somehow Saul had learned that lesson that you want to leave people wanting more, and he did, and they wanted him to come back. But, but notice how Luke phrases this. Up until now, it's always been Barnabas and Saul. But here in Acts chapter 13, verse 42, it's Paul and Barnabas. Now we say, well, who's Paul? Well, Paul is Saul. Saul was his Jewish name, but now as he's begun to circulate out into the Roman Empire and he's among Gentiles, he use, uses what he would have had as a, a Gentile name, a Greek name, and it's Paul, very similar. So he's named after the first king, Saul, but he has the secondary name, Paul. But see what Luke's done. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul, it's Paul and Barnabas. And from this point forward, it's always going to be Paul and and Barnabas. And in fact, later on, when Paul has another associate, Silas, it's Paul and Silas. Up until this point, Barnabas has been the mentor. Barnabas has been the lead teacher. Barnabas has been the one leading the mission. But at this point, it all changes. And suddenly, Paul takes the leading role. He's in charge of the teaching of the mission. And what strikes me is that Barnabas has been leading up to this the whole time, right? But Barnabas talked to the apostles. Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Saul. Barnabas and Saul go to Jerusalem to take the money. Barnabas and Saul take on the mission from Antioch to go to Cyprus and then to Turkey. And all the way, Barnabas has been bringing Saul along. Let's teach together. Let's lead together. And finally, 
Paul is ready to do it. And we see no resistance from Barnabas at all. Now what we find is that these two men eventually do part company, but they come back together. If you read the later letters of Paul, you hear him referring to Barnabas as a trusted man, a strong Christian. So they have this relationship that lasts the rest of their lives. But it's all because Barnabas saw something in Saul that no one else saw. And he acted on it. And I think there's a great lesson for us in that. That that when we look around and see the people around us, what we need to do is to choose to see the potential. That's what Barnabas does, right? He's the mentor. He looks around and he sees something in Saul that no one else sees. He sees a knowledge, a depth of Scripture. He, He sees his ability to speak and to teach. He sees his passion for God. And he sees that all of this can be channeled into Christian teaching and leadership. So what does he do? He speaks to the apostles. He leads Saul along with him. He allows him to teach. And then when the time comes, he gives over the leadership role and it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And there's a lesson for us there. Because if the church is never going to be a strong church without a strong teaching ministry... We need to learn from Barnabas and Saul. We need to learn from both of them. Now, one of the things we need to learn is that we need teaching, right? We need people who are willing to stand up and share what they know about Scripture so that other people can hear that. Now, it doesn't mean that someone else is responsible for our spiritual formation, for our development as Christians. Each one of us is responsible ourselves. We have amazing access to God's Word. Most of us have a printed copy of the Bible, right? And if we don't, we have it available on our computers, our phones, every device you can think of. We've got God's Word at our fingertips. So we don't really have any excuse for not reading it. So we have responsibility. But we also need each other. We need people who have spent time in God's Word studying it and thinking about how we apply it. What does it look like in real life? And so we need, as the church, to teach the Word of God. We need to teach the story of Jesus, just like Barnabas and Saul did, just like Paul and Barnabas did. We need all of that. But alongside that, we also need people who are willing to say, I see the potential in you. And why don't you come alongside me and we'll do this thing together. Now, we may need to learn some stuff together. I'm not saying I know everything. See, that's part of the problem. Sometimes we think if I'm going to mentor someone, I have to know it all. I have to be accomplished. And the truth is, what we usually need is a willingness to allow someone to come alongside us and do the work together and learn together and teach together and lead together. What's really easy is to look at people and say, you know, I don't think they can do that. I don't think they're up to it. These are the weaknesses that I see. What's harder is to be Barnabas and to say, I see that even though it's not yet fully developed, this person has gifts and abilities and knowledge that can be channeled in to what God needs in the church good, strong teachers and leaders. So we need people who are willing to study and to teach, but we also need people in the church who are willing to see the potential in others and teach them how to lead and how to teach. 
And so when we're leading Bible studies, leading small groups, teaching a class, one of the things that we should be doing is saying, who can do this with me? Who can teach and lead alongside me? Because I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to need people to come alongside me. Now, one of the things that we recognize is we know a little bit about Barnabas. We know his interaction with Saul. We know that he was an early leader in the church. But because of Acts chapter 9, but Barnabas, what we have is Paul teaching thousands of people across the Roman Empire and many of them coming to faith in Jesus. An incredible legacy from Paul, but, but runs from Barnabas through Paul to all of those people. And beyond that, we have all these letters that Paul wrote to, to churches throughout the Roman Empire in the first century that we are still reading and studying 2,000 years later. You see, part of the legacy of this man Barnabas runs through Paul into his letters directly to us. But if we don't have Acts chapter 9, but Barnabas, how much of that do we miss out on? Because no one else chose to see the potential in this man named Saul. So here's the thing. Whether we admit it or not, maybe whether we even recognize it or not, we are all teaching. Now, you may not stand in front of a class or be the person who's leading the Bible study, but as a Christian, there are people in your life, maybe your kids, grandkids, maybe your spouse or a sibling, maybe a parent, maybe the people you work with or the people you socialize with, they, they see what Christians are like through you. They see, for good or bad, what following Jesus is supposed to look like through you. They see how an understanding of Scripture impacts daily life through you. You're a teacher, whether you see it, admit it, recognize it, or not. So we're all far better off choosing to see it, choosing to recognize it, and then intentionally teaching through our lives and our words. And what kind of impact can we make if along the way we choose to be like Barnabas, who invests his life into Saul? Later on, we see him investing his life into a man named John Mark, who gave us the second gospel, another piece of the legacy of Barnabas. We're so much better off if we decide to see the potential in the people around us and give them what we have. Maybe we don't have it all. Maybe we can't answer every question, and in fact, none of us can. But what we can pass along is what God is forming in us, and then say, let's do it together. And through that, what kind of legacy might you leave? Let's pray together. God, we're blessed because you saw the potential in us. Even though we're broken, messed up, sinful people, you saw that we could be more than that. And it's because of that you sent Jesus, who transforms our lives. 
And so God, we ask that you would help us to see the potential too. Help us to see what people could be and what you can do through them. Help us to be like Barnabas and encourage people that maybe others have not even noticed. You know, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.